When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Testing, testing. Still way too loud. Can you get Jamie? Can you please come get Ellie? Okay, let's try this again. You're listening to The Neurodivergent Nurse, and I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it. But I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. Welcome to another week of the Neurodivergent Nurse. I have a guest on that I have been probably bugging the crap out of her for months now to try to get her on this podcast. I started back to school last semester taking physics because one day I'd like to be a physician. She's someone that I found on Instagram who provides just really the most amazing study tips for those of us who are neurodivergent, especially me with ADHD. And her account is just always daily full of great tips, her stories, even tips in ways of how important taking 10 minutes to do yoga at the beginning of your day, if you can find it to have that clarity. And she finally agreed. And here we are recording this podcast. I'm so grateful to have Anna on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Anna, can you tell people a little bit about yourself? If you are a student, how you have really created this place, the safe space for people on Instagram who are neurodivergent and what really motivated you to want to help others, not just, you know, keep all of these things to yourself so that you can be successful, but others can be as well. So yeah, I am a university student. I'm in my second year now. And when I started my Instagram page, when I started Analogy, I didn't so much focus on ADHD related study tips because at the time I was undiagnosed. So I only got diagnosed last year, actually in April. So at age 19, but I had suspected for quite a few years that I did have ADHD. I just waited until I left home to be assessed and it was completely my choice. I had the support of my family and friends, thankfully, but it it didn't come without a few like trying to defend my decision and getting a label, which can be a very scary thing for especially family members who've known you your whole life to be like, why would you want to label yourself? So When I did start posting ADHD-related study tips, I only actually like put them out there with the label of ADHD after I had been diagnosed. But a lot of the tips I was posting beforehand were ADHD-related and were tips that were helping me. And I decided to do that because of other creators like you, like Jessica from How to ADHD on YouTube, and a lot of other accounts I was seeing on social media that were so helpful. And it just occurred to me like why should we keep this information to ourselves like why 
why are we not just sharing this and seeing what helps everybody, what doesn't, and finding like-minded people and finding unlike-minded people and who are like, well, actually, this tip I've seen work for a lot of others, but doesn't work for me. I just find it a really interesting conversation to start as well with how many different approaches there can be for different people and how like the be all and end all study tips that we get thrown like all this information about in high school or at the start of university are not for everybody. They do not work for every brain. So I just kind of wanted to build a community of people who I could help and who I could learn from as well. Because when I share a study tip, I often put a little question in the caption of, do you agree with this? Or what would your approach be? How have you managed to keep up with X, Y, and Z problem in your life? And I've learned so much from so many other people, from people who have followed me and from who I follow as well, that it's just been a very rewarding experience. It certainly is. And I'm really big into things like social justice. I'm someone who, you know, I go out like protest. I've always been the person who has a heart for marginalized communities or whatever, but it's been so wonderful to be able to be part of a community that the entire world and especially society here in the United States, I don't know what it's like where you're from, but with things like ADHD, the general population has a negative view of neurodivergence in general, and it's not realistic. So for me to be able to create this safe space for people who are like you, who are like me, that we can openly talk about the great things, the frustrating things and ways that, like you said, it may not help everyone, but it does help a lot of people because obviously we're not all identical, but we do have such similar tendencies. What was the most rewarding moment when you first started all of this where you thought, yeah, okay, I really need to keep going. Like, what was it a piece of feedback that you received from someone who was a follower or was it your account growing quickly? What was that moment where you're like, yeah, this is it. I need to keep going with it. It would definitely be feedback from other people, but also for myself, because part of the reason I actually started posting there was so I could have a place to keep all of this information for myself because I would forget about it otherwise or neglect it. And if I put it out there, other people could hold me accountable to it and you know, if I had friends who were following me in the very beginning, it was just like people who I knew personally, I would then complain about a certain problem I had that I'd already come up with tips for. And they'd be like, but you know how to do this. And then I'd have to go and take my own advice, which a lot of us struggle with. Yeah. But apart from that, it would never be my account growing quickly. My account has never, ever had like a huge influx of followers or anything. I've had this account for a few years now it's been changed around a lot I've deleted a lot of things but I've had it for about five years as an allergy and I often get dms from people who are just starting on the study instagram study gram being like hey can you give me tips to like grow my following and I'm like no I can't because (laughs) I have no advice for that I'm just building a community of people who really want to be here. And I believe that the people who need my information, who resonate with what I post will find me regardless. If it was about creating a huge following, I think I would have started a new account and tried it again. But 
I've stuck with the same one because there was so much on there that I was attached to already. Mm-hmm. And because there were relationships I had already formed with people online who had DM'd me being like, hey, I think I might have ADHD because your tips are really helping me. What should I do? And then I really have to think about like, what can I tell this person? Like, I'm not a professional. All I can tell you is my story. Right. That's all I can give you. And then hope that they find their own path. And I found a lot of times with people, because just like you, I get a lot of private messages and people ask questions like, oh, what, if you don't mind, like what medication are you taking and how has that changed? Sure. I can tell you what medication I'm taking. Or they will say, I have a child that has ADHD. How do I relate to them? And those are the situations where I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't have children. Therefore, I don't have a child. So I can't give you that advice too. But real quick, while we are talking about your account, we're going to, we're going to talk all about where everyone can find you at the end of this. But right now, guys, if you are just sitting there listening and you have nothing to do with your fingers, she is on Instagram. I'm going to spell it out to you. A-N period N-A-L-O-G-Y. So go ahead, give her a follow right now in the middle of this. You're not going to regret it. Okay. Let's get back to talking about school and studying. That was the most difficult thing for me. I was not diagnosed nor medicated when I was in nursing school. I did fine in the U.S., you know, our high school. I did fine growing up, but for some reason, nursing school, I just couldn't make it work. It, I did because I graduated, but the struggle was so intense. What is a normal day for you while you are in school at your university that you have classes, things like that. Can you walk us through what a normal day looks like, your schedule? Last semester will be easier to talk about because I've only had a week of this semester, but I was quite fortunate. I didn't have a lot of 9 a.m.s because waking up has always been difficult for me. I was super lucky growing up. Like my parents were very involved and, you know, like really pulled me out of bed in the morning and got me going. And once I'm going, I'm fine. But getting up is really difficult. So a normal day for me last semester would be often class at 11 a.m. We'll start. I'll have two to three classes in a day. Each class is an hour and 45 minutes. Small classes as well, which is perfect. But I always make sure I sit at the front of the classroom. That's something I have always done. Something my mom taught me to do. My mom's a primary school teacher. So I picked up a lot of tips from her when I was growing up and I will go to class to, you know, I've made sure I had a solid breakfast. That is also a big one for me, but difficult. So what my new thing now actually is, because I do have more 9am's this semester, is taking a smoothie with me to class. But that was a tangent. Go to class, then there'll be a lunch break, have another class or two in the afternoon. And then I also got quite lucky in the university I decided to go to. We have quite a flourishing culture of dancers at this university. So I actually teach and take a few dance classes on campus. And dancing's always been a part of my life. And I believe it's part of the reason that my ADHD went undiagnosed for so long because of all the discipline and skills that you have to learn when you are doing ballet training, especially. 
I'm sorry to interrupt. What type? So you, you did ballet. Ballet is the type of dance you took. Did you take any other forms? So I'm technically trained in ballet, tap, and modern dance. I did exams for those when I was back home growing up, but I've done a bit of everything. I've been quite lucky with what I've been exposed to. So that includes a bit of Bollywood, a bit of like traditional Zimbabwean stuff when I was back home, some gymnastics here and there, but nothing professional and just other things as well. We had a really cool association back home that would take all of the ballet dances in my city and every weekend expose them to a different form of movement. And that included gymnastics, salsa, capoeira, martial arts, like all sorts of things just to get us out of our comfort zones. And I really believe that was such a valuable thing to be a part of. I think it would be amazing to take something that would get you out of your comfort zone, but it takes all of you out of your comfort zone. Because with ADHD, our anxiety would just be through the roof. If we were coming in as a novice while we're around people who they know what to expect, they've done it multiple times, that we're thinking, I don't want to look dumb or that I'm not good or talented. So that's amazing that they would do that as a collective group. So you were talking about that you were involved in teaching and taking dance, and that's been very beneficial as well with your education and helping keep your mind good while you're, you are attending school. Mm -hmm. So what's the rest of your day look like? Well, maybe I should actually talk about like what kinds of classes I actually take, but I think also one of the main reasons I'm grateful I went to a liberal arts and sciences school is that I came here fully thinking that I would be majoring in literature or performance or linguistics or something in the humanities. And in our first year, we have to do a breadth requirement, which means you have to do something from all three disciplines, sciences, social sciences, and humanities. And now I'm going to be a cognitive neuroscience and psychology major. So as you can see, quite a drastic shift. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. But I really believe that like, had I not been forced to try new things, I would not have discovered what I was actually really interested in and really good at because I never even considered it before. So there's that. I had to completely shift course, but of course, jack of all trades, classic ADHD sort of (laughs) description. I can't let go of being in all three things, which is why I'm also doing a minor in literature now. So trying to find the balance all the time and always bouncing back and forth between interests. Do you think that being neurodivergent that it made you want to focus on some type of neuro in your science as far as your focus for your degree? At times, yes. And at times I've had to take a step back and be like, am I studying this because I'm interested in it? Or am I studying this because I want to understand myself? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have to realize that while it's interesting and while there is a lot of research to be done on neurodivergence, It can also be a little bit out of my scope right now as a bachelor's student and be something that I have to watch my bias towards as well, because and my comfort zone as well. Like I know a lot because of the information that's out there on social media, which I've seen a lot of accounts talk about it, that the way that neurodivergence is currently being portrayed on social media from great creators is often much 
more easy to relate to for the neurodivergent community than a lot of the scientific papers that are actually being published. And just that gap between people's actual experiences and the research that's coming out can cause for a very frustrating experience when you need to do a project on it. Mm -hmm. So I actually try and avoid things that are related to neurodivergence when I'm studying, but on occasion it does come up and I always chat to my professors about it. Like last semester, I was doing a paper for psychology and decided to do it on burnout. And originally I was going to do it on burnout in neurodivergent young adults, but after a lengthy chat with my professor and getting his advice on it, I decided maybe there's not enough literature on this right now. And maybe I would be putting too much of my own point of view in there instead of keeping it factual. So there is a danger to it, but maybe in the future. Yeah. Once I've got a more solid foundation. With this degree, what type of job will that open the doors for? Mostly researching from what I can tell at the moment, which is cool. It's also not something I thought I would go into when I first started here and not what I thought this university would be preparing me for, but I'm actually really enjoying it. And I think I'm in the right place to be learning about how to be a good researcher. And in Utrecht as well, in the city that I'm studying in, master's programs and labs and everything are very much catered to cognitive neuroscience at the moment. So hopefully I'll be able to find one that suits me. But every day is honestly a new adventure. It sounds really dramatic, but there's fields of neuroscience that I didn't even know existed, like nutritional neuroscience. Mm -hmm. Didn't even know that was a thing until a project like the other day. So honestly, I think I just need to look around, see what's available, try out as much as I can, and then take it from there. I wonder if people with ADHD generally really love research because I'm that person too. I dive into anything that holds my interest, but I don't just dive into what the general population has to say, but is true. Is it peer reviewed? How many times has it been cited? I just want to dig into the proof and the statistics and that knowledge feels empowering in a really strange way, though there's nothing that I do with it other than the podcast. Like I use it to link in this study in 2015, right? But it's just, it does something internally. It's like a huge hit of dopamine for me to be able to read and like your eyes to be open, to see that there's actually proof to the thought or the hypothesis, right? That the conclusion does match the things that we would think of. I talked to you briefly before we actually hit the record button about social justice. I was so shocked to learn that people with ADHD specifically, not just neurodivergent people, but ADHD, that we have an exponential rate of being social justice warriors, whether it's because we were always bullied or because whatever way that we see the sadness that people go through that is placed on them from their community, but that we are very outspoken fighters for the common good for the other people that are around us, whether we can relate to them or not. That was amazing for me to find statistically that it was accurate. Yeah, that is quite amazing. And I think part of it also kind of links back to, I don't know, how many people will relate to this, but I often find that with me, with my ADHD and with a lot of my ADHD friends, a lot of us are really 
hypersensitive to are we being understood? Mm -hmm. Are we getting our point across in the way that we want it to come across? Which I think also comes back to the researching thing of I need to know everything about this so that when I explain it to other people, there is no doubt about how I understand this and how they understand this. And I think that will also link into the social justice thing where we really need to know what we're talking about before we launch into it. And that can be a slippery slope sometimes because we have a hard time holding back when Mm -hmm. we, when we feel strongly about something and learning to say, okay, wait, I need to come back to this. I don't know enough about this, but I will be back is a skill that I've had to learn for sure. Even in my career at my job, patients or family members, they will ask questions that I don't know the answer to. And I've learned to say, I don't know, but I will find someone who does, or I will find out for you. And I will be able to bring back that to you and have all of the answers that you want pretty quickly, actually. So I feel like that's also kind of hard for us to say, I don't know, but we're not going to necessarily impulsively feed someone with poor information because I always, my entire life, I always wanted to be an accurate person, right? I'm not going to tell you something that is not true, something that is not tangible. Something's not measurable, right? Feelings, me portraying feelings about something really doesn't equate to anything real in my head, but to be able to say, okay, yeah. So you asked this question. Well, here, let me tell you about the four studies that I found. And this is what is proven to be the best for you, you know? All right. So as we were talking about study tips and studying is certainly something that is very difficult For those of us with ADHD, it's hard to get motivated to do it because TikTok may be a whole lot more fun than sitting and reading the four chapters that we need to read by tomorrow. Do you have any tips to help not procrastinate or to just initially get going on a paper or studying for an upcoming class? Honestly, build your interest in it somehow. Even if it seems like the most boring thing that could be possibly coming your way right now, find a YouTube video, find a TikTok about it, but set a screen time limit because then you'll end up on the TikTok about something else. But build your interest in a way that you know will relate to you. So I love Crash Course on YouTube. Like I have watched a lot of Crash Course videos and they'll do enough for priming you before you do your reading. They will not do enough to prepare you for your university classes, but they'll help you kind of get into the right mindset of, oh, now I'm curious about this. And that's a great thing to harness for our brains as well is curiosity because we have a lot of that. Mm -hmm. It just needs to be kind of activated and shown that this thing actually is interesting. And also be careful with who you listen to as well. And I mean this in the sense that the statistics course that I'm taking currently has a really bad reputation for being super, super, super boring. And because of that, a lot of people end up failing it because it's supposed to be easy-ish, but they get so bored that they just don't do the work for it and then think, oh, it's fine. And having to choose to not listen to people who've already taken this course going on about how boring it is has really been difficult, but I think is going to benefit me in the long run. I have instead changed my approach to be like, okay, so what did you learn from this course that you did actually end up using? Or what was actually useful for this course? And guiding how the information you're getting from other people, like the way that you 
want to get that information instead of it being negative, you can actually spark your conversations in a positive way to engage your curiosity, to build your motivation for learning as well. I am lucky. I live with 11 people in my unit. Um, a lot. That is a lot of people and a lot of people studying very different things as well. But the passion among all of us is quite high. So in the kitchen during dinner time, it'll be, did you know this and this about this thing? And someone will be like, oh yeah, you know, I've read a little bit about that, but that's really cool. And then, oh, but did you know about this and this thing that I was reading? And creating an environment of people who are also curious about what they're studying, even if it's not related to what you're studying, can be so motivating. Most definitely. I can even relate that back to me with my best friend is a physician here in town. And I just, I always want to text him. He has a wife, they have a you know, child on the way. And I'm constantly like, Hey, so what do you know about this? Because I need to know more. It has nothing to do with what I do, but I just know that he's brilliant. And I just want to hear all the input. And like, I need that hit of just something absolutely new that I have no knowledge of. So that's super cool. When you're studying for test, how do you prep actually studying for an exam that is coming up? What is a way that you can do that? That is good and helpful for retention for an ADHD brain? If you need a quick fix, it's going to be difficult because if you have procrastinated leading up to the exam, it will obviously be a lot more difficult, but your best bet is actually having a study date with like one or two other people and quizzing each other. Questions are the best way to go for exam prep to really like make sure that you can explain things. But long-term, like actual preparation, if you really have your life together, which is what I'm trying to do, is making summary notes are always a good idea. It's a classic one, but it works. And reading them out loud dramatically. So I often like back when I was at home, when I was younger, like in primary school, even I would read my notes to my parents and they would fall asleep listening to me reading my history notes to them. But it didn't matter because they were there. Now I have like a plant or a stuffed toy or something. If nobody wants to hear my notes, I will be reading to a plushie and being absolutely 100% serious with it and adding in extra details if I can think of them. And that's always just been my go-to method because then I'm reading and I'm hearing it and I'm explaining it at the same time. And it really helps to solidify the information. But the most crucial thing for exam prep is make use of, there's often either a Q&A session near the exam with the professor or office hours. So many of us are so scared to go to office hours and I get it. I was also super intimidated at first. So if I ever go to office hours, I usually take a friend with me. I usually take a friend who's in the class and the, I'm not going to lie. There've been occasions where I'm being like, these are my questions. Can you ask them for me? But go and ask your questions, even if they sound really stupid, or even if it's something that you know was explained and you're embarrassed that they think you weren't listening, just go and ask. That's what they're there for. And I feel like we forget things. And I'm speaking from personal experience. Five years from now, your professor, your teacher, they're not going to remember that you asked that question that you think is stupid, right? It is going to be a blip in their memory. Momentarily, they may have been like, shoot, 
this individual, they don't know the answer to this, but five years from now, they're not going to have any memory or thought of you in that situation. So why are we going to jeopardize our understanding, our education, our benefit from being successful in whatever area that we're in, because we don't want someone to perceive us a certain way when it's not going to matter to them. Do you have any issues with motivation as far as going to class? I never did as a student, but I am sure that some people with ADHD, they may, you know, just really choose not to go or to hit the bare minimum that they think that they could be successful. It's not so much of a problem for me, but it has been on occasion, especially now that we have the option that's only supposed to be used if it's really needed to attend online. We're really lucky that we still have face-to-face teaching here for now, but especially the earlier classes, the 9 a.m., just that temptation to be like, I'm either going to be late to class or I'm going to attend from this room in this moment and having to put my pride away and just be like, I'm going to walk into class five minutes late. Oh, what a terrible feeling that is too. Oh my, (laughs) that was the worst. Knowing that I was going to walk through the door and everyone was going to turn and look at me. How do you build up that courage to even do that? I just tell myself that they're only looking at me because there was movement in the room and that's the natural thing to do. Okay. Oh, I'll take it. Everybody's so focused on trying to get through their own thing that they're really not paying attention to you. And this is actually something I tell people in my dance classes, but everybody is so focused on just trying to make themselves not look like an idiot that they're really not focused on you looking like an idiot as well. And once you actually accept that and you get into that mindset, it's so, so much easier to let yourself mess up and realize that your mistakes are really not as important as they seem. Have you had any classes where you had to join with, let's say, a lab partner where you had to select someone or someone selected you at this point in your university career? How did that almost go over? We do. <laughs> yeah, almost everything we do is group work and it it still drives me mad, but it is rewarding once it's done. But the absolute anxiety of trying to find group is horrendous. I actually prefer it when groups are randomly assigned. I prefer it when the professor picks, but they don't tend to do that in the higher levels. They mostly do that for the introductory stuff where nobody really knows each other. Yep. But now I'm in a few classes where like I walk in there and I sit and most of the friends I form, like the friendships I formed are people who are taking different classes to me. So I don't have a lot of friends in the classes I'm taking right now, or they're in different groups. They're in a different time slot, but doing the same course. So I was in psychology the other day. Yeah. And the professor was like, yep, you're going to have this big research project and you're going to need to find a group for it. And I just sat there looking around, seeing that everybody was sitting with their group of friends and counting, counting that each group needed to have four people. Okay, they've already got their four people. They've already got their four people. I don't know any of these other people. What am I going to do? Am I going to be the last one picked? And it's horrible. (laughs) I've also had when groups were not randomly assigned, but you had to fill out a form of these are the people I'd prefer to work with, but this is the topic I would pick. And then like select, would I rather work with people? Would I rather work with the topic? And again, I didn't really know too many people in my class, but I had acquaintances 
So I didn't really fill out the people side of the form, but I filled out the topic side of the form and ended up in a group. And one of the girls in that group came up to me afterwards and went, hey, did you sign up to work with me? Because I signed up to work with somebody else, but now we're working together. No. And I wanted to just bury myself. I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't sign up to work with you. I signed up to work on the paper, but hopefully we can make it interesting. And just having to move past that, because then you still have to work with them, is nerve wracking. It's terrible. But we produced a really good project. (laughs) (laughs) So it all worked out well. But I agree, like, oh, they're going to have all of these feelings the entire time because they don't want to be a part of me being here or they're holding some type of animosity. Is that going to have any negative repercussions on the project? How do you keep up with your deadlines for school? I like to keep them all in one place so I can see them all and I'm not losing things or neglecting things or forgetting to open certain documents. So I use Notion, which I know can be very overwhelming for a lot of people because there's so many options. But when I first started using Notion, I spoke to my brother who's very tech savvy and I was like, I need X, Y, and Z for this layout. How do I do that? And I have just stuck to like the same three layouts for anything that I do in Notion. But for my deadlines, I have a table that basically has one, two, three, five columns. The name of the assignment or the reading, the subject or course that it's related to, what formats it's in. So whether it's a reading, an essay, research, an email I need to send even, and then After that, it's, is it complete? And that's just a little checkbox. And if it is complete, it moves down to the bottom of the list. So I don't have to see it anymore once it's done. And then the last column is the due date. And then I filter it so that it's an order of due date. And everything is color-coded in Notion automatically. I I love everything this color-coded, period. That, for me, it helps me organize even in my brain. And I have a better tendency to remember tasks that have to come up one day when I have time, because, you know, I spread myself super thin. I have all the irons in the fire at one time. I want to create a calendar for ADHD people, because I feel like if I had a photo that I could put in a time of the calendar, it would help solidify me remembering that day or that instead of just seeing the words that was there, or if it would pop up to remind me a week in advance, there's I feel like there's no way or very little chance that I would forget that. I don't I feel like I just need to create a very easy ADHD calendar for us because it's just our normal one, especially the ones on our phone or our computer, does not work well for me at all. I would love to try that out if you ever get to it. <laughs> You'll be part of the control study. We'll see. <laughs> you put on one of your posts, you have these great post about the ADHD student toolkit, which is wonderful. One of the ones that you put was a toolkit for cognitive behavioral therapy exercises. What are some of those exercises that you use? So when I First got diagnosed with ADHD, I was recommended to do 12 weeks of cognitive behavioral therapy. And I was super reluctant to do it at first. I was like, I have researched 
everything. I have tried all the things. I don't think I'm going to learn anything new. And partly I was right. There was a lot of stuff that I knew, but that I wasn't applying. So being forced to apply it actually really changed some things for me. But the what I mostly use actually are breathing techniques, which I think is something that is super useful for everybody to learn. But a lot of people kind of just push it away and be like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Like, we know that, but I don't want to waste my time breathing in a certain rhythm. Like, why would I waste five minutes doing a meditation when I could be already working in those five minutes? And so I do a lot of breathing techniques. I have practiced with them for a long time and it took me a while to get into it. It's something that I was like on again, off again with, but that's my main one. And my second biggest thing that I learned in CBT was we called it a thought record. I don't know what else it would be called, but it's basically a way of dealing with automatic negative thoughts. And again, I made a page for this on Notion, but it's a little template that you can create where if something is really bugging you, because this is something I struggled with is once something is bugging me, it just goes round and round in my head and drives me crazy. Yes. Like I very circular thinking patterns that are just so unhelpful, but like you just ruminate this on template. It. Yeah, exactly. In this template, you describe the situation. So a lot of mine are to do with procrastination or wasting time. It's my pet peeve is feeling like I'm wasting my time. And then you label situations. So for example, I spent an hour scrolling on Instagram instead of working on my essay that's due tomorrow. Then you label the emotions that are attached to it, which is a whole other skill that you need to build in it. Uh, yeah, by itself. And obviously multiple emotions will come up at once. Then you write down the thoughts as they are that are in your head label the behavior that you're doing. So whether it's scrolling, ruminating, crying, fidgeting, even more, then you assign a percentage to the credibility of that thought. Like how true is this? And that forces you to confront your thoughts and how you're talking to yourself. And a lot of mine actually have very low credibility. And once I assign that number to it, it really forces me to go, why am I feeling this so strongly if it's not yeah. even true? That is really incredible. I love that so much. Let me ask. So this isn't, I'll cut this part out of the actual like audio portion of the podcast. I'm not very familiar with Notion, but I know that I've bought things maybe an Excel from Etsy that they had a template that was made that I could download that I could use things for. Does Notion, do they allow sharing of templates at all? Yeah, they do. So a lot of the templates I actually use on Notion, I have found from YouTubers who use Notion Okay, and then just modified them to fit myself. All right. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Just a couple more questions and I'll let you go because I know we're getting close to the hour long and you're on a different schedule than I am. Tell me about how important you perceive it to be 
your study space to actually be free of clutter or to have maybe, I don't know, do you use like a candle there that gives you a certain feeling while you are studying or reading or things like that? Is that something that you find very beneficial for you? I definitely find it more beneficial to have a clutter-free space, but it's almost impossible to like attain. If I could show you what my bedroom looks like right now, you might not be horrified because you might understand, but like I a lot definitely of people would. would be <laughs> mortified. But it, it does help to have a clear space and trying to implement like, you know, a little bit of daily tidying. I have also some posts on like how to just clear up in, in five minutes just so that you can start working. And I do use those, but if need be, I can work in the mess. It's just going to be a recipe for reaching burnout a lot quicker because I will be overwhelmed and not even realizing how much something small could set me off. But essentials might not be a candle, but they will be a warm drink or multiple drinks. I'm one of those people who will be drinking three different beverages at once. So I'll have like some lemon water, tea and smoothie, which a lot of people find ridiculous. They're like, that's too many things. But I definitely have to have some form of liquid near me when I am studying. Also because, especially with a straw, makes it so much easier to consume as well and to actually stay hydrated. I cannot stand drinking anything without a straw. I don't know why. I just feel so much better about consumption of beverages if they have a straw. So bizarre. Yep. I've never heard anyone else say that before. Um, But yes, yeah, go ahead. On your, one of your posts that you made, you mentioned how important it was that during your studying schedule, right? You get down, you really need to focus on studying. You mentioned that it was important also to schedule time for hobbies or journaling. What is your favorite hobby that you implement into your day of really needing to focus? What do you give yourself as a reward? That's a good question. There's quite a few. I am obviously very like much a fan of looking at other people's contents on social media. So I do actually allow myself quite a lot of time to scroll through Instagram and look at YouTube videos and stuff. But one of the things that I really like to add into my day as just like a happy moment is making a really fancy thing to drink. So like I will splurge on buying like a matcha latte mix or like a fancy like coffee sachet, something with flavor. And just taking the time to make it a little ritual is just very pleasing to me. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, I am a, a stage performer at heart. So singing is a great one. It also ties back into breathing techniques and stuff. So my poor housemates will hear me singing at the top of my lungs a lot, but it, it helps a lot with emotional regulation for me as well. Just having to control my breathing in order to actually get through a song and movement for sure. Yoga took me a while to get into as well, but now I can't imagine life without it. You um, sent me the link of the person that you use on for your yoga. Will you tell everybody who you use on that? Because actually it's really phenomenal. I look at yoga with Adrian's YouTube videos because she is absolutely brilliant. I know that she has really boomed in the pandemic. She was really 
popular before that as well. And I think part of the reason that she's so popular is because A, she doesn't take herself too seriously. Like she gets the job done and she makes jokes and she's, you can follow along super easily. B, because you don't have to have any experience and you can self-correct with Adrian a lot easier than even in an in-person yoga class because the way that she describes the movement is in the way that it's supposed to feel in the way that you're supposed to like direct your movement as opposed to this is the shape you're supposed to create and this is what it's supposed to look like which is always something I've struggled with my dance studio back home actually only had one very tiny mirror so learning to correct by looking at myself was not something I was super into or super comfortable with but learning to correct myself based on how things are feeling is how I really deal with movement and it really builds a great body awareness which is also going to help you actually identify when things are going to start going south for you so a lot of us are familiar with or prone to burnout and building that sort of body awareness and being like I'm feeling tension like in this part of my body right now. And that means I need to back off. I need to take it easy. It's so interesting because we think it's such a mental thing, but it shows up in the body a lot. In the neck, in the shoulders, even people who have headaches and migraines. Absolutely. Anna, where can people find you? If they want more study tips or to just find a welcoming environment for neurodivergent people, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at analogy with a period in between the two ends. And that's mainly it for now. I have been considering a TikTok, but we'll see how it goes. My DMs are always open. I really love chatting with people and I'm always there to answer any question that I can and try to make time to do that as well. So I'm really keen to just chat with people who are also students with ADHD, especially, and just hear how other people are coping with this and basically just encourage people that we can do whatever we want. We can study whatever we want. So find me on Instagram. That's the main place. And I'll be sure to add the link to be able to find you in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you're struggling finding her, just go ahead and click on the hyperlink that I provide. I'm going to make it super easy for you. But Anna, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy life with studying and just being incredible to come on here and talk to me and to talk to everyone else who can have such great takeaways in order to be successful. I just want to thank you for being a light to everyone who is struggling and looking for answers, especially when it comes to education and school. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. This was my first podcast, so it was a little bit like nerve wracking, but I'm so glad that you gave me the opportunity to be on here. Yeah, well, maybe we'll just have to do it again at some point with updated apps that we can use for studying that works. There's just such a great need for people like you who are going through the difficulties and finding the answers in easy ways that people can take away so that they can be successful too. So hopefully I'll get you and you will be willing to be back. Thank you. 
If you would like to contribute to this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the neurodivergent nurse, where you can get exclusive bonus episodes, scripted the show prior to the release, uncut video interviews of the guests, input on upcoming shows and ideas, and even more. Also, be sure to follow the neurodivergent nurse on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with someone that you think could also benefit from the neurodivergent nurse. And go ahead while you have time and while you're thinking about it and rate it and leave a review five stars on your favorite listening platform so that other people can find the show easily as well and i hope you have a wonderful week and i can't wait to talk to you again